to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Today I have a very special guest for you, Toko Pa Turner. Sometimes called a midwife of the psyche, Toko Pa has been working with dreams for over 15 years. Greatly influenced by the work of Jung, her own approach to dream work is grounded in the mystical tradition of Sufism in which she was raised. In 2001, Toko Pa founded the Dream School, from which hundreds of students have now graduated. She also wrote Awake and Dreaming, a documentary series for Vision TV. Toko Pa has been interviewed by CNN News and BBC Radio and has over 40,000 online followers on her beloved Facebook page called Dreamwork with Toko Pa. In her private dreamwork practice, she works with healing personal and ancestral trauma, reconciling paradox, and facilitates sacred grief and ritual practice. Toko Pa's Dream Speak column has appeared in publications across North America and she is currently writing her first book, tentatively titled, On Belonging. Tokopa is going to be one of the presenters at the upcoming Synchronicity Symposium, September 12th through 14th here in Joshua Tree, which is why she's talking with me on this particular day. I've had several of the folks who are going to be presenting at the symposium on this program in the last month, with several more to come. And my goal here is to spark your interest in the symposium, and the topic of synchronicity, and also to introduce you to some practitioners who are working in what I call the mythic dimension of life. Toko Pa's presentation at the symposium will be on embodying the dream, and she will be talking about dream work and its relationship to belonging. So I'm really excited to have you here today, Toko Pa. Um, I'm so excited to be with you, Catherine. I have to tell you that I spent some time with your blog and on your website, and it was so rich and relevant to a lot of the things that I'm dealing with day to day, even moment to moment, challenges of focus, of slowing down, of respecting the process, and connectedness. So I very much appreciate your taking the time to talk to me and to share your work with Myth and the Mojave listeners. It's been wonderful getting to know you, too, through listening to uh, some of your previous shows, and uh, and I can already feel how much we are kindred. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great in September, that's for sure. Aha, aha, we'll have this, uh, I'm imagining it like a, um, a sacred temenos where we're all going to gather and share our you know, are pieces of the same puzzle. <laughs> right, right, right. Many pathways into the same place. Mm-hmm. So let's start with dreams. Um, dream work has been the core of your work for quite a while now. So tell us a little bit about what is your your vision of dreams and the gifts of dreaming? such a broad topic that I, I feel I'm always sort of working at the edge of my um, my own relationship to that mystery. 
Um, but, you know, the simplest way that um, I've come to understand it for myself is dreaming is nature, naturing through us. And so in the same way that nature produces fruit on the branches of the tree, so too are dreams produced through us. And, um, and that there's something holy about that, uh, and that it's a kind of regulating function in the sense that um, it will always show us where our biases are. So, if, for instance, if we're leaning towards too much, uh, um, you know, one particular bias, it, it will offer us a balancing perspective. So there's a sense of it bringing balance, but also there's so much wisdom and guidance that comes through our dreams if we take the time to remember them and um, to live into our questions and mm-hmm. relationship with our dreaming. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, on this, I use the term the mythic dimension a lot in this program, and, and I also call it in mythic mojo in my own work, which is my image of this kind of underground river almost that I feel like is constantly moving up through us and that we can dip into if we know that it's there. And it sounds like you're talking about a very similar perspective on dreams that, you know, we have access to something that is very primal and yet we're also the vehicles for it. It, it, it takes form through us in various ways, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, um, I think it's so true to, to call it the mythic dimension or the symbolic life, you know, and I think dream work in that sense is inclusive, not just of our nocturnal dreams, but of the unseen, you know, and that dream work then takes on a broader definition, which is that um, the practice of a dynamic reciprocity between the two worlds, between the seen and the unseen. And, and like you articulated that wonderful paradox, which is it's not just happening to and through us, but that we can affect uh, we can affect the path ourselves. We can spell the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely hearing the Jungian that we're sharing back and forth um, in this idea that there is a dimension that we're participating in, but is also somewhat independent of us. And then in this idea of the balancing, the self-regulating and the compensating, that is one of the big gifts, I think, if you're paying attention to dreams, at least for me, I get very wrapped up in what I'm doing day to day, and it's very easy for me to lose perspective on the real value of any piece of work or project or really anything that I'm doing. And occasionally I have dreams about relaxing, letting go I can't, I don't want to take up my whole, the whole program talking about my personal dream experience, but having those dreams is a very powerful reminder to just back off. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have them, honestly. Yeah, you know, and, you know, many people don't remember their dreams, which is a bit of an epidemic in our time. 
Um, and, you know, it's possible to survive without remembering or engaging with your dreams. But there's a, a much greater thriving that can be had when you can have that dynamic relationship with your dreaming. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's like you're talking about when you're working on a certain project or even, you know, your path in life. It's easy to fall into... Um, a place where we're taking our cues from the external world instead of the internal one. And um, and then it's very easy to feel lost or feel a sense of uh, um, meaninglessness in life because you're not um, acknowledging and engaging with that inner life. So in my work, I'm, I'm really trying to help people to reconnect to that um, inner guidance system um, so that there's a sense of being grounded in the eternal, you know, and not mm -hmm. just in this temporary world that we live in. Tell me a little bit about how you do this work. I, I mean, if somebody comes to you and wants to do dream work with you, how, how does that kind of work or... Yeah, you know, it's um, it's such it's such an intuitive process for me, um, and uh, and and in a sense, it's very very simple. You know, we if you and I were going to work on a dream together, we would just come together, and then I would ask you to, you know, we would set the uh, the sacred container of our time together, and, and then I would ask you to just tell me the story of your dream, and then what I might do is uh, ask you some clarifying or contextualizing questions to help me understand the images in your dream and then slowly together it's um you know i think of it a lot like uh, midwifery in that it's it's really you who's doing the labor and my job is to um, hopefully ask you the right um elucidating questions mm -hmm. so that you can make the connections from uh, from the symbols that are appearing in your dream to your waking life or to your overall um, uh, c conditions of your life. Um, so it's a, very much a collaborative process and quite mysterious. You know, you never know uh, where you're going to enter into the dream, you know, through which mm -hmm. image. And um, and you generally don't know how it's going to turn out. So you're kind of like stepping into the unknown together. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds great. Well, so I'm hearing a lot so far of the influence of Jung in our conversation. Tell me a little bit about what your background in Sufism adds to this process in your mind? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I discovered Jung when I was um, 20, and I found, uh, I found Man and His Symbols. And, um, and when, I, when I read that book, it was like discovering this um, species of people who spoke my alien language, you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, there was so much resonance for me. And then, of course, it, it led me into an uh, um, enormous amount of discovery, um, so many great Jungians. But the way that I was raised was uh, kind of unusual in, um, in that I was raised in a Sufi community. Um, so there was an in there's an international order of Sufis that um, settled in the West, and so we lived in, a, in what's called a konka, so it's a, um, an abode, a house with many, many rooms and lots of um, different people traveling through there who are all sort of devoted to uh, the Sufi practices. 
So Sufism, for people who don't know what it is, is it's actually a mystical branch of Islam. Um, and like most mystical traditions, the emphasis of Sufism is on um, seeking union with the divine, um, looking to have a um, an ecstatic relationship with the indwelling divinity in all of us. Um, and the way that you practice that is often through music and um, poetry and dancing and, uh, and of course, contemplation. Mm-hmm. And so for most, most people know Sufism through the poetry of the Persian uh, mystics like uh, Rumi and um, Hafiz um, and many others. So how does this influence my work with dreaming? I guess... Uh, I guess in that those very early teachings that through the practice of music and and poetry that it's possible to touch the divine um, within your own heart. So it's a um, uh, unambiguously devotional practice. Mm-hmm. And so I treat dreams in this same way, in that when we receive a dream, that something divine has been given to us, and we seek to to know it through a kind of slow courtship of questions, you know, mm-hmm. looking at mm-hmm. it from, looking at the images uh, through different lenses and, and gently, compassionately trying to understand why they've come as a guest into uh, our dreaming and what they have to teach us. I love that notion of devotion. Mm. And this is reminding me, is it kind of connecting up with a, a theme that we t- have touched on in some other programs here that has to do with the divine and how you can access that or have experience of it. And I feel like a lot of people, in particular folks who've been put off by organized religion in some way or another, and I totally understand that, um, are kind of blocked by this idea that belief is necessary. And... In my experience, it's not. It's something that you might evolve into, but as a practice, it starts with developing the habit, if you want to call it that, of allowing things to be significant and treating those experiences, phenomenon, whatever, with respect rather than being in this kind of oh, it's only this, it's only that, it's just this, it's just that. You know, it's that that tendency to dismiss and minimize and overlook that I think is a much bigger obstacle to, you know, lived experience of the sacred, which I, I, I think all of us really want. I think that longing is at the core of most of our anxieties and restlessness and depression. It's like, you know, it's 
it's difficult because we live in an era um, which is very reductionist, you know, which does try to minimize and categorize and, you know, the whole, the myth of science is really the myth of our time, rationalism. Um, and, you know, it has its great value. And also, um, it divorces us from that symbolic dimension that we were talking about, that meaningful dimension of things. And I, I think that um, the easiest way for people who uh, don't have a religion or don't have a belief um, can to relate to that divinity is through nature. Mm-hmm. And that as soon as we, you know, take a walk in a forest or spend um, time around animals, <clears throat> there's a sense of touching the, the wonder of divinity. And so, um, so you know, in the writings of uh, Martin Trachtal, um, I'm sure you know him, mm-hmm. the language that he uses is the holy in nature. And I love that phraseology uh, because it sort of takes the charge out of the word God, and it brings us down into this very grounded place with nature, and also recognizing that um, that the mystical dimension of it. Like, you know, when you look at a lotus and you see its um, outrageous symmetry, mm-hmm. and you know that there is, you know, a greater organizing um, principle that's touching all of us, and it causes a, 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 a sense of wonder in our heart, and we all have a right to that. Right. Well, that's really beautiful. So what I'm taking away from this is that the uh, your upbringing in Sufism and your practices there create a condition or emotional heart and sort of soul space for you to entertain dreams um, that, you know, that it allows you to give them their significance. And as you say, to kind of devote yourself to understanding them. That's, that's really lovely. That's really lovely. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I think uh, I think most people are very hungry to speak of their dreams, but all of our lives we've heard a very dismissing um, kind of, you know, get your head out of the clouds or uh, it's just a dream. And so we don't recognize their importance in this culture anymore. But if you look to any of the indigenous cultures, dreams are always central. They're always central to tribal practices, the sharing of dreams, the um, working within dreams, the walking within dreams, um, and then, of course, the medicine that dreams bring not only into our personal lives, but into the vision for the whole tribe, for the whole collective. Um, And so, you know, just just by virtue of me being uh, a person who recognizes the importance of dreams, it's amazing to watch people you know, go from that moment to say, you know, the first thing people say to me is, oh, I don't remember my dreams. And then give them, you know, maybe 10 seconds. And then they'll say, 
but I did have this amazing dream last night. Uh-huh. You know, so it's, it's almost like it's almost like you said, just creating the condition to entertain or to welcome dreaming um, brings it on and allows it to have a place in our lives. And it's wonderful to watch how transformative it is for people to um, recover that central relationship with their dreaming, and then of course how it begins to guide them into a life of belonging. Well, so that seems like a really good point here then in our conversation to talk a little bit about the connections between dream work and its relationship to belonging. You're writing a book on that topic, and you're bringing those two things together in embodying the dream, the presentation that you're going to do at the symposium. Uh, Can you elaborate on that connection that you see a little bit? love to. Um, so this, this idea of embodying the dream is almost synonymous to me, uh, for me, to belonging. Um, it's the idea that, you know, we can, um, through dream work, I think what happens when you first enter into this work, there's a lot of kind of um, removing of obstacles that happens in the beginning. You know, you're kind of like taking inventory of what is uh, arising there from the unconscious, um, but then also this sort of dethroning of false tyrants. Um, and that process takes quite a while um, because there's a lot of uh, unlearning that we have to do. But once you can do this, this other very faint voice at first begins to emerge, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, what you could call a kind of indigenous or, or vibe, our essential nature, you know, this kind of vibratory signature, which mm-hmm. is ours and ours alone. And um, the idea is to grow that voice louder and clearer and to begin to then articulate it through your actions in the world. Um, and I know some of this must sound abstract, like what does that really look like? But it's different for every person you see. So for me... Uh, my story is that, um, you know, uh, though it may sound idyllic, you know, being raised as a Sufi in a community, a spiritual community, and of course there was an enormous amount of beauty in that um, way of living, there was also a profound shadow in my upbringing. And um, I had a very troubled childhood, and I ended up leaving home when I was 14 years old and, uh, and, and never going back. And so for me, this question of belonging became the question of my life. Where do I belong if I don't belong within my family? And what is this yearning? What is this longing to belong? And that question has led me to many different purposes. Um, But at this point, it is so much around transmitting this technology that we mm-hmm. are uh, that that is inborn um, and that is this this bringing forward of the dream being able to uh, amplify that um, indigenous voice mm-hmm. or purpose or vocation whatever you might call it and then learning to walk it learning to step into it and bring it uh, kind of like the elixir of the mythic journey into the world so that it can be shared with others. 
And somehow in that process, you find your belonging. You find your place of belonging. Right. Yeah, I, I really do think that we all have something specific to do. You know, and, and I, I use the word do, it's, it can, it's just as much about being, I think, uh, as it is actual doing. But um, when you talk about the indigenous voice, you know, I can think of times in my life where I really needed to be rooted in what was true for me. You know, I had a decision to make or something like that. And that information comes from a very specific place in me. It's immediately recognizable at this point in my life. You know, if I go there or if something comes from that place, I, without question, I know that has truth for me. So I'm thinking that, or I'm feeling this is along the lines of what you're talking about. Does that sound? Yeah. I mean, if we were to sort of put a word on that place, um, maybe we could use uh, something like instinct, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That kind of instinctual, you know, gut, intuitive feeling of what feels good and right uh, versus what has a kind of dissonance to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is most of us have been disconnected from our instinct, um, you know, because of the way that we live. There's been um, uh, an enormous disconnection made, um, couched in a, a kind of um, a life of convenience or efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. But that way of living tends to um, disconnect us from the quiet, from the dreaming, from the inner knowing, from that um, uh, inner wilderness, which is our instinctual nature. So a lot of, I, you know, I think there's a, a huge um and growing interest in, you know, what some people are calling rewilding or a kind of recovering of that, that wilderness within so that we can feel more in alignment with being in a human body on earth at this time. Um, I think the disconnect from our own instincts has led to um, a great number of problems in our world today. Um, so yes, this kind of finding finding a way to tune back into that inner knowing um, is a huge part of the journey to belonging. That's beautiful. So unfortunately, can you believe we've already only got a, such a seconds left? Okay. So tell me, what are you offering to people who attend the symposium? Um, okay. Well, I'm going to do two things. On the um, Saturday, the 13th, uh, I'll be giving an hour-long presentation on the topic of um, dreaming and belonging, so this idea of embodying the dream. And um, and then I'm going to be giving an intensive on the Monday following, which is, um, 
I believe that's 1 to 3.30, so that gives us two and a half hours, and we're going to work on some actual dreams, so we can sort of ground some of this philosophy in some uh, actual practical application, Mm -hmm. and so we'll go a a little deeper into how to approach the dream, and also um, a little deeper into this question of belonging, and what are some of the ways that we can cultivate belonging in our lives and in our communities. That sounds amazing, honestly. (laughs) Well, maybe you can be there and we can meet in the flesh. Yes, well, I will be there, and so we will. So that'll be great. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. I think this is really lovely, I mean, as well as important. And uh, it's a privilege to hear about your work with dreams today. Thank you for holding such a a beautiful and constant space um, around honoring story and myth and dreaming and uh, all associated (laughs) uh, pieces. And um, yeah, I think we're going to have a great time in California. I think think, um, if people can find their way to joining us, it's going to be such a rich weekend full of some amazing visionary work. And I'm so excited to participate in some of the presenters' um, offerings there as well. All right. You've been listening to special guest Toko Pa Turner talking about dream work, embodying the dream, and belonging. If you'd like more information about Toko Pa, please visit her website, which is www.toko-pa.com. You can contact her to do personal dream work, subscribe to the blog, and check out some of her other offerings. If you'd like more information about the symposium that we're referring to, Matter and Psyche, go to www.matterpsyche.net for complete information on the schedule and registration details. It'd be great if you would join us. That's it for me today, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or check out our brand new website at mythinthemojave.com. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. <laughs>